Today we begin a two-part sermon series called Creation Cares, which is a kind of play on words. God cares for us in creation and our charge to care for creation back. The reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, beginning with the latter part of verse 4 and some selected verses. So listen for what God might be saying to you. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. If you have ever tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, hopefully you made it past page two. There are so many obstacles to making it past, well, to making it very far. You know, they just, well, like there are those laws and lists that seem antiquated and archaic. There's, someone will tell you, oh, by the way, the books of the Bible aren't arranged chronologically. What were they thinking? But probably the number one excuse that I've heard is too much violence. And some of it, the authors act like God sanctioned it, that these women and children and beasts of, in the land should be slaughtered. It's hard to read through the Bible. But if you made it to at least page two, you may remember we get two creation stories. And they don't agree with each other because, well, they're not meant to be taken literally. So if you were really good in science, and Genesis has always been an embarrassment to you, let it go. Genesis is interested in the meaning of life, not its origins. So whatever the James Webb telescope uncovers, and oh my God, is it stunning, this story and these stories will always have spiritual value. The first one, we didn't read that one, on page one, starts with nothing. There is nothing. And somehow off stage, we hear this voice say, let there be light. And that's when you could maybe picture what you see through those telescopes now. And that's not the only thing God will say. God says, let there be. And it's golden retrievers. And it's hippos. And it's rhinoceros, it's all kinds of things, it's willows, it's sycamores. God keeps creating and making and shaping. Over and over, God just keeps making. But that's the first one. And scholars call it creation ex nihilo. Just means out of nothing. God creates out of nothing. But the second one, the one we read on page two, is totally different. 
God actually gets dirt under the divine fingernails. God scoops up some soil, some dirt, throws it, and the image in Hebrew is on a potter's wheel and begins to create and shape. And I sort of imagine the angels looking over God's shoulder. What, what, what are you making there? And it's the first man. And God breathes breath into his lungs, and he comes alive. And there's this great wordplay in Hebrew. The man, Adam, or Adam in Hebrew, is made from the Adamah, the ground. It's kind of like if we said, out of the dust, God created this guy named Dusty. Or better, humans were made out of the humus, which is not to be confused with hummus, but God goes on to make chickpeas and figs and cucumbers, makes this great garden, so maybe there were chickpeas. And God makes trees, lots and lots of trees, and two of them are named. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says to the man, if you eat from this one, in the day you eat from it, you'll die. Well, you may remember what happens next. The animals are brought before the man to see if there's a suitable mate. There's not. And so God causes him to fall asleep, pulls the woman out from his side, and together, equal in the presence of God, they stand. But it's not too long after that, they're drawn to that tree. And they eat. But they don't die. <laughs> I mean, they don't die. There are consequences, but they don't die. And so the rabbis for centuries have said, well, that's because it's not literal. It's a figurative kind of death. And one scholar says it's the death of enchantment. The notion of a, of a magical world filled with God's presence. So here's an, a little thing I tried when we were in Italy on that Bible and art tour. First morning, I said, okay, I'm going to say a word, and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. And the word I said was forest. And they said what people always say. They said trees, green, lumber, the environment. I mean, this is what people say. But it's what modern Western people say. Our ancestors in the faith, in the ancient Near East when this was written, all the way up to the Renaissance, maybe even a little beyond that, they would have said something entirely different. If you said forest, they would go, oh, the forest. That's a place of, of danger, but enchantment of fairies and demons and robbers. It was a place of black magic and white magic. It was, it was an enchanted world. But that begins to fade. It begins, it begins to diminish. The death of enchantment. And it's in the text. It's actually in the text. Remember, the trees are described as pleasing to the eye and good for food. But when Adam and Eve look at it, they reverse the order. They say, what's well, good for food? And oh, oh, yeah, and it's pleasing to the eye. Do you hear it? It goes from enchantment to kind of utilitarian. You remember that Joni Mitchell song? They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Do you remember the line about the trees? They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum, and they charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. And you don't know what you've got until it's gone. 
I mean, I don't know that they looked around and said, how much do you think we could get for this lumber? You know, lumber prices are up. I don't know that they thought about renting out the garden for wedding receptions, you know, a lot of money to be made. But enchantment slips away. The sociologist Charles Taylor says, it's a little bit more complicated. We don't live in an enchanted world, but we sort of do, at least for persons of faith. And I'll give you some examples. And, and they're, they're, they're kind of they're hard to grasp in a way. But in the ancient world, people, they thought differently. When they said forest, they, they gasped. And Taylor says, nowadays, we pay money to see horror movies and visit haunted houses. You hear it? We're, we're trying for some magic. And they knew that magic. Or how about this? During the Reformation, people in worship would take the bread of communion and some of them would pretend to eat it, but put it in their hand or their pocket and take it home. And the reason was maybe they had sick cows at home. And if the cow ate it, this was magic bread. It could heal a cow. Some of them threw it in their fields because they thought, well, you know, it could help the crops grow. Their world was, was magic. We know better. There's antibiotics, there's herbicides. But what Taylor says is, as persons of faith, we have this modern worldview and we long for some enchantment. And if you can find it, if you can regain the childlike enchantment that you had, the payoff is brilliant. Norman Wiersbe, theologian, says, yeah, theologians have always called it creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. But he said, what if it's ex amore, out of love? What if this is a love story? And again, it's in the text. Over on that page one story, it says, and then God said, and then God said, and then God said. But in chapter two, it says, Lord God. It's the divine name Yahweh. And for God's name to be given is to say there's intimacy here. It's a love story. It's a story of, of beauty. And it is in such contrast with all the other creation stories in the other nations at the time. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, they all had creation stories. None of them were meant to be taken literally either. It was just the way they conceived of the world. And it went something like this. The earth was formed out of the battles of the gods. They fought and their blood was spilled and the earth was formed and the earth and the sky were made from the corpses of the dead gods. And that story about the gods was supposed to say something about how we are made to live violence. But that's not the Genesis story. The Genesis story says God's gift to us is life and love, and goodness, even if we are jaded and violent. So let me tell you two stories about God's good creation in the face of a violent world. You know the first one, at least a part of it. You remember the kid's book, Ferdinand the Bull? He wouldn't fight in the ring. He wanted to sit under his favorite cork tree and smell the flowers. Most of us remember it. Turns out it's based on a real-life bull. In the mid-1930s, 
a rancher owned a black, big black bull named Sivilon. And one day he returned to the ranch and he was shocked. His seven-year-old daughter, Carmelita, was petting Sivilone, stroking him and feeding him wildflowers out of her hand. And he had two reactions because this is where we are, right? Enchantment and disenchantment. He was touched by it. It was so touching, so moving, but that was his livelihood to put this bull in the ring. But the news spread, and kids far and wide came to have their picture taken, stroking and petting a bull and feeding him wildflowers. But unfortunately, the rancher gave in, and Civilone went into the arena. He wasn't interested in fighting, but once he had been stabbed, he fought, and the rancher, standing to the side, regretted it. And so he called for Civilone, and the bull trotted over and leaned in to be petted. And the people in the arena were moved, and they shouted for an indulgence, and Civilone was allowed to live. He ended up on the cover of magazines with beautiful women and flowers. And I wish I could tell you that was the end, but it wasn't. On the very first day of the Spanish Civil War, Franco's troops slaughtered Civilone and ate him for breakfast. And three months later, the children's book was released. And the author and the illustrator, survivors of World War I, their book was banned by Franco. And shortly after that, by Hitler as well. God's gift to us is peace and love and life in the face of a violent world. So let me tell you the second story. Rebecca Ann Parker is a theologian whose work I've admired, and she lives up in Washington State, and she tells a story about when she was relatively newly married, and she managed to have a romantic dinner out with her husband so that she could share the news. We're going to have a baby. But that was not how he saw it. There was no we are going to. She was pregnant, and he wasn't even sure he was staying in the marriage, and he told her, he said, look, If there's any chance, you have to abort this pregnancy. And she was very torn and devastated. But in order to save the marriage, she aborted the the pregnancy. And it still ended. He, He left. And at that low point in her life, she decided she would end her life. She lived on a mountain overlooking a lake just outside of Seattle, And she decided one midnight in winter that she would walk down and throw herself into those frigid waters and swim out until she died. And so around midnight, she took off. She had just crested the last hill before you get to the lake. And even though it was dark, something was different. It looked like to her there were these sawhorses set up spanning the horizon as if it was something to to keep her from getting there. But she just pressed on, and then she realized... It was tripods with telescopes. The Seattle Astronomy Club was out on this night in parkas and ski hats. And as she got close, she was just going to walk through. But one of them saw her and thought, well, she's another star lover out here. And, And he said, come here, come here. I've got it. It's perfectly focused. Look at Jupiter. It's incredible. 
And she looked, and that beautiful banded red planet was glowing, and, and, and it was stunning. And he says, it's, it's something, isn't it? And the beauty of God's night sky kept her in this world. Creation is God's gift to us of life and love. And it really is something. 